So this message was, was developing uh, towards the, the, the first week of this year, last week of last year, but uh, as you know, I had to stay home for a couple weeks. So it's a couple weeks late, but we're still in January, so I, I still think it fits because we're still in that season of New Year's resolutions. Anybody make any New Year's resolutions this year? No New Year's resolutions? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've, I've always uh, found New Year's resolutions to be weird. Not, not for making resolutions. I think making a resolution is a good thing. Setting goals is a good thing. It just always seemed weird to me that, that January 1st was the day that you had to do it. But the reality is, is this is a time in many people's lives where we start thinking about the future. We, we, we somehow kind of see it as a reset, right? It's a new year, a new you, you're going to do different things. And uh, like I said, I've never really thought much of New Year's resolutions, but it's not because I don't like setting goals. I think setting goals are important. I think looking forward is, is, is important. I think you can make resolutions anytime. You can decide I'm going to eat better. You don't have to wait till January 1st. You can do it anytime. Um. But that being said, I still typically like to make generalized goals for the year because it is kind of a good demarcation point. And this year, my goal is to put in over uh, average 100 miles, ride 100 miles a week on my bicycle. And that, that's just one of the goals that I've set for myself. I think it's doable. Last year, I actually started riding my bike again in August. Over the course of August to December, I lost like 30 pounds. And I averaged 137 miles a week on my bike. I was doing pretty good with that. So I know this is doable. This is a doable goal. This is something I can hit. Really, the main reason I set this goal is to keep me consistent. If I have a goal to ride 100 miles a week, then at least I'll get on the bike every single week. That's my goal. But as I was thinking about this, thinking about as we set goals for the future, we look towards the future, that, did you know Christianity is kind of like that all the time? That's why I've called this message Eyes Wide Forward. As a Christian, our eyes should always be looking forward. We should always be looking towards the future. I don't know if you know this, but Christianity is a forward-looking religion. We don't focus on our past. We don't focus on what's behind us. We focus on what's in front of us. And the reason we, we let go of our past, because our past has already been paid for. It's already been dealt with. And we look forward to a future of who we are in Christ, not who we were. The whole point of Christianity is, is looking forward. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. You know, I think Paul understood this more than anyone, that as Christians, we're supposed to be looking forward. Even though, though Paul was the one who wrote most of the New Testament, he still understands that he must look forward. He still has to progress. He has to keep moving in that forward direction. You guys have ever, have, have ever heard the expression, if you're not growing, you're dying? It's kind of like that in Christianity as well. We can become stagnant if we don't keep looking forward, if we don't keep pressing on towards something. And that's the thing is, is Paul understood that, that we're not perfect yet. 
you know, we're, we're, this is what Paul's referring to in Philippians 3, 8 through 11. He's, this is how he starts getting into this verse. It says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what he's talking about. I've not attained it yet. I haven't risen from the dead. I haven't died. I'm not with Jesus. I'm not standing in front of God perfect because the truth is, is that when we live on this earth and we say yes to Jesus, inside of us a supernatural miracle takes place. And at that moment, from a spiritual standpoint, you are perfect, you are pure, you are holy, and you can stand before God. When God sees you, he doesn't see your past, your old life. He sees Jesus. But from a physical standpoint, sometimes it takes a while for our body to catch up to what has happened in our spirit. You know, I've known many people that got saved and it was like a light switch in their life. Everything changed. It wasn't like that for me. It's been a gradual process. But you know what? I kept looking forward and I keep growing and I keep moving forward. And that's what he's talking about. Paul says, you know what? We're not there yet. Yes, we've obtained a righteousness that comes by faith, not of our own. How many of you guys are thankful that righteousness doesn't come by your own doing? Praise God for that. Because even today, if I can be honest with you, as your pastor, I still stumble sometimes. I still mess up. Good thing my righteousness is not determined on my actions because I would fall short. And I know that each and every one of us would be in that same boat. But we, we must press on every day going towards that goal. Our goal is to live out in our natural lives what has already been accomplished in our spiritual lives. We press on every day towards that goal. We press on trying to become better and better every day, to look more like Jesus every day. So how many know that Jesus is the measure and the standard of our life? That's who we're supposed to look like. And we have to press on towards that goal. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, I haven't attained it yet. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I've not made it. Even Paul, who, who wrote the, the, the most of the New Testament, he's the one that I think we can all agree that, that, that uh, he's kind of the one that sets the example to, for the rest of us to follow. But even Paul says, don't imitate me except as I imitate Christ. The whole point is for us to imitate Christ. And that's why the Bible refers to sanctification in two ways. Did you know that? The first is, is when you're born again, you are sanctified. That's that spiritual place. You are sanctified. You are, you are set apart in front of God. You are perfect. You are pure and you're holy. But the Bible also refers to sanctification in an ongoing process. It says we are being sanctified. How can you be sanctified and also be being sanctified? That's because it works out in two ways. One, in a spiritual sense, we are perfect, pure, holy before God. We are sanctified, but we have to let that live out in our lives. We have to let our body catch up to the spiritual reality of what we're going on, going, that's gone inside of us. And the whole purpose, the whole point, is that we stop looking behind us and start looking forward to who God says we are instead of looking at our failures. And you know what? It's not even just our failures. Paul doesn't say, uh, one thing, forgetting what lies behind me that are bad. He 
says, forgetting everything that lies behind me. You know, you can get caught up in your past successes and not grow as well. How many people do you know that are still living in their glory days? And they haven't done anything for the past two decades because three decades ago they did something awesome. You see that in the Christian world too. The truth is, is that we're not supposed to focus on anything behind us. Successes are failures. If you get wrapped up in your past, you can never put your eyes forward and, and move forward. You get stuck where you were. But our goal is to look forward to who the Bible says that we are. You know, that's the thing about a New Year's resolution. A New Year's resolution is always towards something that's not. You're always going towards a goal, trying to do something. And that's the way it is with Christianity. We, we keep moving forward. We may not be there yet. Like Paul, we know that we have not attained it yet, but we press on to make it our own. We keep our eyes looking forward to who the Bible says we are in Christ's strength, in his power. And we begin to live out who God called us to be. And it's okay if that's a process. You just need to keep moving forward. Like I said, when I got born again, when I got saved, it wasn't like a light switch in my life. It took some time for all the cussing to fall off, for all the bad things to fall off. Matter of fact, I had it in my head that I was going to be the Christian to show the world that you could still uh, be a Christian and have fun, which I believe is true. I just was confused on what fun was, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Because the thing is, if you get caught in your past, you can get swept away. And in Genesis 19, 7, it says, And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. That's an angel speaking. And do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Like I said, if you get stuck in the past, if you get stuck looking behind you, you have the chance of being swept away. So this part of Genesis is the story of Lot and his family being rescued from Sodom. And you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? They got destroyed. And Abram went ahead and he pleaded with God and he said, he said, Lord, will you save it for 50 people? And the Lord says, if there's 50 righteous people, I'll save it. And ultimately he gets all the way down to 10 people. He says, look, if there's at least 10 people, 10 righteous people in these cities, I'll save it. Well, newsflash, the cities didn't get saved. Turns out there was just Lot and his family, which was less than 10. So anyway, the cities are about to get destroyed, and the angels show up in, in, in Lot's home, and they ended up having to physically grab Lot and his daughters and drag them out of their home. The angel showed up and said, listen, I've got salvation for you. Everything's going to get destroyed, but you need to come with me, and you'll see salvation. And they lingered. I said, listen, you're going to be killed. You're going to be destroyed. And they paused for a moment. How many know that if, if you have a lifeline, if someone says you're going to be saved, if you're in a burning building and it's all come to the ground, if someone comes in and says, come with me and I'll make sure that you're saved, don't hesitate. <laughs> Go ahead and get on out of there. Can I get an amen for that? But it's so interesting that so many of us try to linger in a corrupt and broken world rather than flee this very same corrupt society that's causing this that's destined for destruction but so many christians try to linger in that space they try to linger they, they have salvation they have freedom they have a way out but they try to stay 
in the mud and the muck. Because the thing is, is I think we remember things more fondly than we ought. Somehow we only remember that, that fleeting fun that is often the reward for sin. That temporary reward for sin. And we forget the eternal destruction that it brings. And we look back and see these things fondly. But after the angels grab Lot and they begin dragging him out to safety, this is what he says. The angel says, don't look back. Don't stop anywhere. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And then we know a few verses later that as they're getting away, guess who looks back? Lot's wife. She looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. And I know many people might read this and think, man, that is pretty harsh. She looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. And I think it's because we think somehow that that was God punishing her. But the reality is, is that God made a way for her. God made a way for her to be saved. He sent his angels and he grabbed them by the hands and he drug them out of the city. They didn't know how close they were to destruction. But she began looking back, that remembering fondly. She had been pulled away and set free, but she made a choice to look back, to dip into that old life that she already knew was destined for destruction. She already knew that. This wasn't God being harsh. This was her choosing to be wrapped up in what God had already set her free from. So why is it that we look back so fondly at things that cause so much destruction? I've seen it in so many Christians' lives. You know, one of the things that I don't even like to go to downtown Tucson. Any of you guys like downtown Tucson? I can go during the daytime, but I can't go at night anymore because unfortunately it reminds me of a part of my life that I had to soon forget. It's not a time in my life that I look back fondly on. And I don't like going down there and be reminded of it. I don't like looking back on that. I don't like being reminded of it. I don't want to look back because I remember my life when that was a place that I enjoyed going. It wasn't for the culture, I can tell you that. I wonder if Christians would still try to live parts of their old life if they actually knew the danger. Do you remember when the Israelites were slaved, freed from slavery? And they were just a few days out. And they began moaning and complaining. And they said, we remember the fish and the leeks and the garlic we remember all that that we used to get for free. They looked fondly at that temporary pleasure, forgetting that they were slaves and they were abused. I think that's why so many Christians look back and justify keeping things of their old life in their life. They justify drinking and getting drunk and premarital sex and all those things because they forget they were slaves to that sin and they willingly put the shackles back on. They get, they're stuck looking behind them into that old life. I was there once too. Like I said, I was the Christian that was going to show the world that it's okay to have fun and be a Christian because I was going to see how close to the line of sin I could get to. 
That's another problem Christians have, is we want to see how close we can get. Pastor Wayne, can I still do this? Can I still do this? How close can we get to that line? How close can we get to our old life when we should be running away from it, not looking back at it, wanting to make it a part of who we are today? Because we don't realize how close we are to being swept away. How many people do you know that used to be Christians, maybe even strong Christians, but they begin letting that stuff slide back in and creep back in, and all of a sudden they were, they were backslidden. They've been swept away. And this isn't even, I'm not even talking about the wrath of God, some sort of punishment for sin, because the truth is Jesus paid the punishment for our sin. That sin's been dealt with. But the reality is, is that, that they're, they're, this, this being swept away is slipping into backsliding. And some people have even completely walked away because they let that old stuff creep back into their lives. You know, at, at best, you're backslidden and you've, you've damaged your testimony. At worst, you get completely pulled away and you walk away from God. And I, I know so many Christians who have done that. They wanted to see how close they could get to that other thing how close they could get to sin, and next thing you know, they completely turn their back on God. They've walked away. The truth is, we're not supposed to look back. This is what Jesus says about it. In Luke 9, 62, it says, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So who is, is, is fit to look back? No one is fit to look back. Jesus gives that similar warning to all Christians. Don't get caught up looking back. You know, and, and, and the picture that's being put here is if, if, if you know anything about how plowing used to be done, it was a big wooden contraption with one blade and they hooked it up to an ox and they got started going forward. The problem was is you had to look where you're going. You had to make sure that you were going straight and keep plowing straight because if you started looking the other way, and you can actually see this in your own life, you don't need a plow. Go ahead and go out on a parking lot, look straight ahead, and then turn this way and try to walk towards that, and you'll notice you'll turn to where you're looking. See, people don't realize that you turn to where you're looking. If you're looking behind you, guess where you're going to turn? You're going to turn behind you. If you want to keep moving forward, you have to be looking forward. Unlike the plowman here, if he turned the other way, if he looked the other way, he got distracted, the furrow would get crooked and it would be ruined. We live against a, a bunch of farmland. Have you ever seen when they, they go ahead and plow the land? You notice that all the furrows are in a straight line? Because that's the only way it can be effective. If they were crisscrossing in every direction, it wouldn't be effective. And that's what happens to Christians. Is when we look behind us, like I said, best case, we become ineffective. Worst case, we get pulled away. So the reality is, is that what Jesus is saying is make sure your focus and your priorities in the right place. Make sure your eyes are pointing forward, looking towards Jesus. Because if you're continually looking at what was, he says you're unfit for the kingdom of God. You're not going to be effective. You're not going to have an impact. And this is true if you put anything in front of God. One of my my favorite stories is when Elijah went to Elisha. And it's funny, there's so many things that's funny about him. One, it doesn't seem like Elijah wants to do it. Like he's irritated, he's got to go give his mantle to Elijah. So he just walks up to him, tosses it at him, and 
And Elisha's like, what is this for? And he's like, I don't care. Do what you want. And he starts walking off. But you know what Elisha does? Is he's out there working the field. He's got his plow. He's got his oxen. And he butchers the oxen, cuts up his, 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 his equipment, his plow, burns that to burn the sacrifice with the oxen. And then he follows Elijah. You wonder what the significance of that is? How many know that it's really hard to go back to plowing the field if you just killed your ox and burned your plow? He couldn't look back. He said, I'm not even going to give myself the opportunity to look back. I'm going where God wants me to go, amen? Because here's the reality, church. You're brand new once you get born again. You're not who you used to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. If you're a Christian, you're not who you used to be. You're changed in an instant. You are free from those things that held you in bondage. Those things that we keep looking back at, you're actually free from that. The day you said yes, you made the biggest resolution in your life that you ever had. May not have been on New Year's, but at that moment, you were resolved to be somebody else. And we need to see ourselves as who we are now. Because by faith in Christ, we die and raise again to a newness of life. That's why the Bible says you are a new creation. You didn't just get a, 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 a fancy coat of new paint on you. You know, if we were to have a car, and I were to put a brand new fresh coat of paint on it and try to sell it as new, people would laugh at me. Because it's not actually new. It's still the old car. It just looks pretty. But the Bible doesn't say that. You don't just get a fresh coat of paint. You're not the same person you used to be just trying to live better. You are brand new. A miracle has taken place inside of you. And we need to see ourselves as that. The old is gone. The new has come. We've got to stop trying to hold on to the old. This is the time to not look back at what was instead of start looking forward. Paul understood this. He understood this about Christians. And because of this reality, Paul, when he even looked at other Christians, he didn't look at their past sins and failures. But instead, he saw them as their new creation reality and who they really were. They were forgiven. They were free. They were righteous. And this is how each and every one of us should regard every believer. They're not who they used to be, but they've been made brand new. We should resolve to see everybody as who they are in Christ, not their past. And we should make sure this is how we view ourselves as well. See, the problem is, is it's a little bit easier, I think, sometimes to view other people as, as brand new because we don't know everything about them. We know everything about ourselves. But it doesn't matter what you've done. There is nothing you've done that could disqualify you from Christ's love. As long as you repent and put your eyes on Jesus, you're good to go. So if you're struggling in any area of your life, if you find yourself looking back, make that choice to look forward. Do you guys know what repentance is? It's not feeling guilty. It's doing an about face. One moment you're looking at sin, when you repent, you're looking at God. And then we need to make sure that we're putting on our new self. 
Ephesians 4, 17 through 21, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened and their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You know, many of us need to understand this, that our, our, our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life, is corrupt through deep, deceitful desires. In verse 23 it says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. See, if you're wondering how you go ahead and, and make sure you're looking forward to not getting swept away in our past, is to make sure you put on the new self every single day. It does take effort on your part. It does mean you're going to have to be disciplined. It does mean you have to control what you're looking at, where your eyes are pointing. Put, make the choice to put on the new self every day and stop trying to fit in with who you were trying to fit in with the Gentiles, as Paul refers to it here. It says that they've, they've, they have futility of their minds. Their wisdom is comprised of the wisdom of this world. The thing is, is that when we look at the people around us, they're trying to understand the world uh, with science and intellectualism, but they can't really comprehend what the world really is because they deny the creator of it. Their understanding is dark and alienated from the life of God. And they're ignorant to God's love and purpose for their life because they've hardened their hearts to them. When we look back, that's what we're looking back to. That's what we're trying to fit in with. And the problem is that these people have been resisting God for so long, they've become callous to him and his love. And they've become callous to the evil of this world. I think we can see that today. Every time you watch the news, you see people that have done that. The impure actions of this world don't even affect people anymore. And they give in to do all kinds of immoral and evil. And the problem is they don't even give in to it. They don't even just allow it, but they begin to approve of it as well. So Paul commands us under the influence of the Holy Spirit, stop trying to walk like that. Don't he says, look, you must no longer walk as these Gentiles do. That's who we used to be. That's the old man. Stop trying to be who you used to be because that's what looking backwards is. So if step one is to stop trying to look back, step two is to put on the new self. And that's what he says in verses 20 through 24. Like I said earlier, when you hear the gospel and you say yes, something changes inside of you. It's a, a miracle that takes place. Too many people think that that getting saved is all about an intellectual decision to try to live better. It's not. Matter of fact, that doesn't work. That, that's why God had to send Jesus, because that's impossible. It's impossible to live better without being born again. Because if you're not born again, you're a slave to sin. And anything you're a slave to is what enforces your actions and the way you live your life. But when we get born again, we get a new spirit inside of us and we put off the old man. We put off our old self because that belongs to our former 
manner of life. There really should be a, a demarcation point. You should see a difference between your former manner of life and your life after you've gotten saved. And like I said, some people it's like a light switch, and some people it grows over time. That's how it was for me, but every day it was better and better. And you can certainly see a difference now in my life than my former manner of life. And that's the thing. Before you get born again, you don't even have an option. You're a slave to sin. But after you get born again, you can put the old man behind you. And we can live from a different source and a different foundation with our eyes looking forward. And he says that we're supposed to, how, how do we do this? Is we, we, we be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Did you know you can be completely clean on the inside, but our minds can be unrenewed and we want to slip back into what it knows, which is the old man? Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That means we have to do something. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That means we have to renew our mind. And part of that is by where you're putting your eyes. Put your eyes in your Bible, and you'll see your mind begin to get renewed. When you begin to see who you are in Christ, the problem is, is, is people will come up here and they'll say a prayer and they get stuck because they never actually read their Bible and find out who they are. Their, their faith never actually increases. But he says that we need to renew our mind. And here's the thing, when you have a renewed mind, you can finally put on the new self. We can finally learn who we really are and we can live from that. You know, most people don't, don't live who they are in Christ because they never spent the time to figure out who they are in Christ. And that's not, a, that's not a, 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 an introspective journey. That's a read your Bible and say what God says. God will tell you who you are in Him. And the good news is, is that when we do that, we can live from the new self because that's, that new self is clean. That new self is pure. That new self is holy. How do I know this? Because that's what God says. And then we need to make sure that we're keeping our eyes on things above. In Colossians 3, 1 through 2, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. I think we need to understand that our mind is on the things that our eyes are on. Whatever we're looking at, that's what infiltrates our mind. That's what we begin to think about. And the Bible says to keep your eyes on things above. Keep your eyes on heavenly things, things that God is interested in, things that, that God cares about. And if you're a new Christian, this might even sound foreign to you. This, this, this idea of wanting to keep your eyes there seems odd because it's not something you can relate to because you're still coming out of the old man. It seems foreign, but the reality is is that when we've been raised in Christ, that means that we have been identified with Him. That means we died in Him, and the penalty of our sin is paid for. But the good news is, is that we're also raised in Him to newness of life. And as a result, we have His characteristics, His life inside of us. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And if that's the case, if you're living from Christ and He is inside of you, then that means His ideals are your ideals. That means that His desires are your desires. So the reality is, is if we just let Christ live through us, a lot of this stuff would go ahead and take care of itself. And that's what he says here. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. If you've ever studied Colossium, um, what he's saying here is, if then you have been raised with Christ, and I have, uh, I've already showed that you have, uh, another way you could translate this instead of saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, it should be, since you have been raised with Christ. If you're born again, you have been raised with Christ. Then we need to set our things on eyes above. Set our eyes on things above. If that's who we are, then that's what we should be doing. Setting our eyes on things above. And I, I don't think people um, understand the power of this. Anybody ever experienced temptation in your life? You know, if you would just begin to praise Jesus in that moment, you'd be amazed at how easy it is to walk away from that temptation. I personally believe that if your eyes are on Jesus, it's impossible to sin. Because in order to sin, you actually have to look away from Jesus. I know this because I've experienced this. If I'm being honest with you, there's many times in my life when I've been tempted by something and I hear the voice of God telling me to walk away and, and in order for me to continue to act on that temptation, I have to push God down. But if instead you'll put your eyes on him, it would be impossible for the do to do those things that you're being tempted with. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The truth is, is we always have to suppress Jesus speaking to the Holy Spirit speaking to us when it comes. If you're born again, you have a way out of that temptation. And I would just encourage you, try it. Feel temptation, begin to worship God. Begin to praise him. To begin to praise Jesus. Begin to pray to him. And you'll find that you actually have to turn away from that to do that thing that you are being tempted with. It's impossible to sin if you're looking at Jesus. The only way we can sin is if we look away for a moment. But when we're saved and we're born again, our focus always needs to be on Him. And our goal should revolve around His kingdom and His desires and not things that are ours. You know, when I got saved, the things that used to matter to me no longer did. There really is a change inside of you. And before I got saved, everything I did revolved around what I wanted. My thoughts, my desires, how I could make things better for myself, how I could be better or more important or be more accessible. And now all I want to do is be pleasing to Him. And it colors all of my actions. It colors everything that I do. And it's funny because it's interesting that actually before, I wanted to be a good worker. I wanted to be a good husband. And I wanted to be a good father. But the problem was is that I wanted to do it to lift myself up. But now that I've put him first, and I want to, to lift him up, and I make sure that everything I do is, 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 is pleasing to him, then I'm now a good husband. I'm now a better worker. I'm now a good father. It turns out that when you put God first, many of those things in your life will begin to change. It'll begin to work themselves out. Before I put Jesus first, I was a terrible husband. 
I know this because my marriage almost didn't make it. But when we finally put him first, and we both did, our marriage turned around. And I believe I have the strongest marriage of anybody that I know. But it's because we put him first. And things changed. We put his kingdom first. And now all of those things that I wanted to, to build myself up, I actually receive, but except for now, they're glorifying God instead of myself. Amen. And then we'll end here. I started this message telling you about wanting to ride my bike 100 miles a week. That's my goal for the year. But wouldn't you know, the beginning of this year, I got COVID, and I haven't been on my bike in over two weeks. That kind of makes it hard to meet that goal. <laughs> when you couldn't ride for two weeks, I can't meet that goal. But I have a choice to make. I can either give up and say, you know what? I've already missed the goal. I've already messed up. There's no way. I, it's literally impossible for me to ride 100 miles every week when two of those weeks have zero miles on them. So I have a choice. I can either give up or I can just get back on the bike and go from here. It's like that for Christians too. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For the righteous fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. See, here's the thing. I can't meet that goal anymore, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to ride every day this week that I'm capable, or every, every day this year that I'm capable of riding. Every week this year I'm capable of riding. And I have a sneaking suspicion that when I tallied up at the end of the year, I'll still average more than 100 miles a week, even though there will certainly be two weeks that I rode none. I'm not going to give up. And Christian, if you've been listening to this message, and you realize that, man, sometimes I am looking back. Sometimes I'm getting caught up in my past. Sometimes I may even been swept away a little bit. You don't have to stay there. You get back up. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. That doesn't mean you have seven chances. That means that if you fall, just get back up. And you can do it as many times as you have to. You only fail if you stay down. You see, the wicked stumble in times of calamity, but the righteous man gets back up. Get back up. You don't have to stay down. You don't have to stay in your failure. If, you, if you've been hearing this message and you're thinking to yourself, man, there's some stuff that I'm looking back on. Just do an about face. Repent. Put your eyes back on Jesus. And if in next week you realize that you're looking back again, don't worry about it. Repent. Do an about face. Put your eyes back on Jesus. And if it happens again the next day, repent. Do an about face. Put your eyes back on Jesus. That's the key. Get back up. And if you'll do that, you'll make sure that your eyes are always looking forward. And you'll notice that every time it'll be longer between instances and eventually you won't look back anymore if you focus and keep your eyes on Jesus. The only way to fail is to get stuck staring at your sin and your failures. That's why when we do communion, I always remind everybody this isn't a time think about all the things that you've done wrong it's a time to think about what jesus has done right we don't want to get stuck on our sins we don't want to get stuck focusing on our failures because that elevates them in our life instead put your eyes on jesus and make sure he's elevated 
in your life. Make sure that He takes the preeminence. Church, let's get back up. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.